Hi, I'm Kate Bailey. I'm a coach, an author, and a sober mama. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for Sober and Sober Curious. And today I'm really delighted to talk to um, to Ellie, Ellie Crow. And Ellie is a certified senior This Naked Mind coach, a great area drinking coach. And she also hosts the Present and Sober podcast with Sam Goldfinch. Um, and I had the pleasure of talking to you the other week, didn't I? I came on to yours. So you did, Kate. It was a wonderful conversation. So if anybody's missed that, they'd they have to go back and listen to it. It was a, a really great conversation. And uh, I was just messaging you this week to say the, the impact that that's had already. We have a Facebook group with um, that, that's linked to the, the podcast and the feedback we've had already on your episode has been phenomenal. So it's definitely one to one to listen to. Amazing. Thanks, Ellie. Well, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to um, yeah have you on because we got talking afterwards, didn't we? And this is what led to this episode. And we were like, right, we've got to get this in because we ended up, as I tend to do these days, of just when whatever I'm talking about inappropriately or appropriately, ending up then talking about menopause. Yeah, me too. <laughs> to, to any old bugger <laughs> that will listen. So, um, so anyway, we sort of bond, like had a kind of speed bonding, didn't we? After the yes. kind of the formal kind of podcast, and we're like, yes. And what about this, Jen? And what about that? and we were like okay so menopause uh, international menopause day is coming up we think it might be tomorrow and we with our perimenopausal brains <laughs> exactly have, have really no idea but no actually when this podcast goes out which should be tonight tomorrow it should be if we are correct <laughs> international menopause day and it is such a it is such a big thing so we're going to dive into that today our experiences of perimenopause and for me a bit into the menopausing journey um mm. but all through the sober lens and we're just going to start off yes. chatting to to ellie about her journey you know with that and also her journey to being alcohol free so um so hello again ellie and Hi. um yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your your journey to becoming alcohol free? Absolutely. So the, the place that always seems relevant to start is that I'd always considered myself just a massive social drinker. And it wasn't until after I had, I had children that that really changed. And as I think a lot of people can um, relate to, it became my only means of self-care. You know, all of the other things fell by the wayside. And it was my means of relaxation at the end of the day it was my means of escape of of checking out and you know I've got three fairly well they're young kids and obviously they were younger when I was going through this a few years ago and I was trying to run a business we didn't have and don't have much social support and so everything was falling to myself and my husband and you know you you can only do so much right you can you're only physically one person but we're trying to keep the wheels on everything and it, it just was becoming impossible. So, so wine at the end of the day was that it's just like the release valve. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize at the time was that something had changed in my relationship with alcohol in that I was leaning on it in a way that I hadn't in the past. Um, and, uh, I, uh, 
oh god i've just forgotten what i was going to say there we go there's a perimenopausal <laughs> moment right there for us good grief that was what I was going to say to you. Yeah. Thankfully, it's come back. Good grief. The, the other thing that I didn't realize at the time was that not only was it not relaxing me, but it was doing the exact opposite. And I'll come on to that a bit later. But this, this was completely unbeknownst to me at the time. So there I am just trying to hold everything together. Um, when um, just to go back a little bit, my experience of going through those sort of child rearing years, when I had my first child, um, I was just it was the first time I'd ever really taken a break from alcohol that pregnancy but it didn't bother me didn't bother me at all because of course I'm not leaning on alcohol in that way yet uh and I was so amazed at this you know new life that was being brought into the world that 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 was where my focus was when I got to the end of that pregnancy and I thought about drinking again I then realized oh hang on I'm now breastfeeding and then I thought, well, how long do you breastfeed for? I hadn't considered that. So whilst I banked on taking a nine-month break from alcohol, I hadn't thought about what happens beyond. So that, that was a kind of an interesting time in my life where I was trying to figure out, like I, I stayed away from alcohol for a long time, but then I felt like I was miss, missing out on social occasions. And so I was trying to pump milk and store milk so that um, the, the, you know the baby had milk for when I was drinking and then I would have to pump whilst I was drinking to not get engorged. And so I got caught up in all of that. And it was so exhausting on top of having a new baby and figuring out how to be a mum. I just thought like, why am I doing this? It's just, you know, just exhausting and thinking about it all the time. And so uh, shortly after I then I fell pregnant with my son and then got back into that, take a nine month break. And, and all of the while that kind of reassures you that you obviously don't have a problem because you can take nine months off. So out of the other side of having my son, and I don't know whether this was the onset of perimenopausal stuff, whether it was postnatal stuff, whether it was boy hormonal stuff, I don't know. But something felt really, really different hormonally after having my son. And whilst um, I wasn't quite, I wasn't so far down the road in this leaning on alcohol, that's where it started to creep in because I just felt so volatile. And I was having these moments. It wasn't all the time. It was typically once or twice a month. I'd have these periods of like intense rage. And, and of course, alongside that comes a lot of shame and a lot of guilt because, you know, that's not the kind of person that I felt that I was. And I didn't want to be that kind of a parent that's, you know, highly anxious and stressed out and um, tense and shouting and all of those things. So my, this sort of, volatile mood I was doing my best to cope with it whilst you know I've got two kids under two no social support all of that and so so wine as I said it started to creep in as this mechanism of self-care and I got about a year postnatally and I just I was on the floor I just couldn't take it anymore I went to see my, my GP and she diagnosed me with something called PMDD which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder and this is it's known as like an extreme form of PMT or PMS, but it can leave people feeling homicidal or suicidal. Like it's, it's a serious condition. And so that helped in that. I understood that I wasn't making this up. Like something had changed. This yeah. was something hormonal, but I didn't know really what to do about it. My doctor's uh, advice was to go on antidepressants and at the time, I was very much in this mindset of if I take antidepressants, I've somehow failed. Mm. You know, I was I was I had all of these layers of judgment on myself. Like I should I should be able to cope. 
and so I, I left the doctor, the doctor's office that day, and I battled on for probably about another month. And then I really was at a low. And I remember thinking, like almost like I don't care what happens to me now. I've just got to go and seek help. And and my doctor was so helpful. I, I went back. I, I remember sitting in her office with the two kids playing at, at my feet. And I was just ready to surrender, you know, antidepressants, whatever it is, I'll take it because I just, I can't deal with this anymore. And I remember looking at my two kids and just seeing these two little beings thinking, and th- this is the worst of it, like thinking they'd be better off without me. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they gosh. they deserve yeah. better than me. And it's such a horrible, like what a horrible, horrible place to be because above anything, like they need me more than anything else, but they need me to be well. Mm-hmm. So that conversation was a really interesting one because whilst so she prescribed me antidepressants she also um, advised me to go for cognitive behavioral therapy and it was the first time that anybody asked me she said because she's prescribing the antidepressants do you drink and I said oh yes I do and she said how much and I was in such a daze at the time I forgot to do that thing where you lie about it and you half it and not like yeah, so I, yeah, I, yeah. I told her how much I was drinking yeah. and she kind of looked at me like horrified because I was probably drinking I'd say at least a bottle of wine a night sometimes two just to be able to to cope yeah. and after it spilled out of my mouth and I saw her reaction I had like this feeling of like, like oh oh shit yeah that's that's not right is it yeah. and again shame comes along with that yeah. and guilt and so she said to me rather helpfully, she said, you need to cut down. Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> so I left and I remember thinking, yeah, she's right. I know she's right, but how, how do you do that then? Like when, when this is the only thing, like I honestly thought it was the thing that's keeping everything together. So the, the antidepressants were the, one of the best things, one of the best decisions I made because what that allowed me to do was just get my head above water, felt like I could breathe mm. whilst I wasn't, um, like it just evened me out. So that volatility that I mentioned was, I became much more even. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like necessarily how I felt because I felt a little bit um, uh, flat, I suppose. But, but at least I could function. That was meant I could function. I went to a cognitive behavioral therapist and worked with him on my anxiety. And within a couple of sessions, like he, he was amazing. I really connected well with him and that my whole outlook, my whole mindset changed within a couple of sessions and it can be that powerful. So that was a wonderful thing. Mm. And I also reinvigorated my yoga practice, which is another big thing. And over the course of the um, the following months, my intake, as far as alcohol consumption was concerned, it went down. It just naturally went down because I was going out to my yoga class I wasn't feeling the extent of the anxiety and the stress that I had before. And so you weren't self-medicating. Yeah. With that yeah, so much. It, and you were doing other things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it, it it certainly shifted, but of course, you know, you've laid these neural pathways down, right? Where you're, you know, like I had this entrenched belief that alcohol relaxed me. I still very much believe that during this time. Mm. Uh I I also reset my gut. So I was kind of getting into um, changing what I was doing nutritionally. And, and, and at this point I felt better than I had in a long time, came off the antidepressants and then I fell pregnant with number three. 
And so then you're back into that, you know, abstaining for nine months. And, yeah. and it was really interesting because during that pregnancy, it was the only one of the three where I really missed drinking. Yeah. And I was looking longingly at everybody else, you know, my friends that were drinking over the summer and there I am heavily pregnant and hot and, you know, feeling, feeling like I was deprived and missing yeah. out and all the rest of it. So when, uh, when my last one came along, uh, I, I often tell this story because it's it kind of epitomizes it. Um, so I, my my last two children were born at home. My my youngest, she was born actually in this room where I am right now. And then um, it was the really early hours of the morning, and you have that like that initial, you know, the, you're just full of adrenaline and all oh. of that. And then you you kind of have that, and and I I fell asleep for a few hours. Then I woke up and I've got my new baby there. And I was laid in my bed upstairs and my next door neighbor came around and she walked into the room to say hello to meet a new baby. And she giggled when she walked in the room. I thought, what on earth is she laughing at? And it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. But on the nightstand next to me, I had this chilled glass of my favorite white wine. Because like, there's me thinking, like, if I ever deserve a reward, it's yeah. right now. I've just labored all through the bloody night. <laughs> given birth again like I deserve a drink um but at the time like that it's funny isn't it because like that hadn't crossed my mind that was a strange thing to do Mm. but because it to me alcohol was very much it was it was a reward it was relaxation but you know you looking back on these months it's like oh yes okay I I can see things a little differently Mm. um so then I get back into I've now got three very young kids still no social supports, all of the same stuff going on. And the hormonal stuff again here, it was it was tricky because I breastfed for so long. Um, I, I had the absence of cycles and what have you. So it was very difficult actually to know what was going on. All I could go on was how I felt. And what I started to feel was that resurgence of that monthly or bimonthly um, volatility. Mm. And it wasn't as extreme as with my son, but of course here I've now got tools because I've, you know, worked through cognitive behavioral therapy and I have my yoga meditation practice. And so whether it was, again, this resurgence of PMDD or whether it was perimenopausal, I'm now starting to err on, I think this was the beginning of being perimenopausal, but at the time I would have been 38. So seemingly very young to be be thinking about it. So when I went to my GP, this is about a year postnatally I went to my GP again and she said look um I don't think you need antidepressants but you might want to consider them for the luteal phase of your cycle and for a lot of women that I work with now this is what I'll often hear when they uh, display perimenopausal symptoms the GP will often offer antidepressants either antidepressants or for the luteal phase of the cycle and it, I don't know how I knew. I just knew that wasn't the right thing for me. And so I declined that. And uh, we then got into this process of testing my blood, uh, my bloods for my hormone levels and bits and pieces. But it was all very difficult to piece together because I was breastfeeding. Mm. And so they couldn't really read what was going on hormonally with that still in the mix. And I remember going to the um, the, gynecolo- the gynecology clinic and them saying to me at the time, well, you're going to have to stop breastfeeding. But to me, that was a really, like, it felt like a really selfish thing to do. Like, I'm going to stop breastfeeding my daughter to work out what's going on for me hormonally when she yeah. wants that nourishment. So it was a tricky place to be. But this coincided 
with me discovering this naked mind. So this naked mind, for those people that aren't aware of it, is um, it was originally a book um, and is now a whole um, company with many programs in its own right. But there's a lady behind it called Annie Grayson. So I just totally by accident uh, within my Facebook feed, I found this. It was a like a little mini book called The Six Vital Things That You Need to Know About Moderation According to Science. And this was written by Annie. And when I saw it, the two things that stood out to me were moderation, because that's what I was trying to do. And I was doing it badly. You know, I would break all the rules that I set for myself. Oh, I'll only drink on weekends. And then the weekend would start on a Thursday and finish yeah. on a Tuesday. And um, I felt deprived when I wasn't drinking. So the moderation thing really piqued my interest. And the other thing that was interesting to me was the science angle. So I um, I'm the kind of person I like to know how things work, why they work, and then I'm sold. So I downloaded this PDF and with trepidation, because I kind of, I think subconsciously I knew, your I knew number was up, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I started to read it and I was just blown away. So that belief that I had, mm. drinking relaxes me, just in this, you know, few pages of this little mini book, it showed me in, you know, sci- with science and facts, I couldn't argue with that not only did alcohol not relax me, but it did the opposite. Yeah. It was elevating my levels of stress hormones in the body. It was exacerbating the stress and anxiety that I felt. And in that moment, it was the strangest feeling because that belief that I carried around for over 20 years was, I, I could see it was false. And so my desire to drink just disappeared in that moment. Whereas the day before, if I hadn't mm. have been drinking, I'd have felt yeah. miserable and deprived. It's amazing, isn't it? The mindset shift. It's like a it paradigm is. shift, isn't it? They call it when 100%, you hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And and so and, and it was this really weird feeling because like I'm in this liminal space. I now don't want to drink because I understand it, but I've never considered living an alcohol-free life. Like who do, who, who does that? Yeah. So then I had all these questions started to come up, like, well. How do you socialize without drinking? Do your friends want to socialize with you anymore? So it, so it was this weird liminal space, but the overriding emotion was that of excitement and curiosity. I felt relieved that there was this other option that I hadn't even considered. And I liked the fact that it was a bit different, it was a bit subversive, and I just wanted to see where it would go. Mm. So I didn't tell my husband, I didn't make any big declarations. I just quietly stopped drinking and thought, I'll just figure this out as I go. Now, Annie being the marvellous marketeer that she is, I'm then on her email list. So a week later, I get an invitation to the live alcohol experiment that was taking place in January of 2020. And my initial reaction was, because it was $47, that was was your investment for it. My initial reaction was, oh, I can't spend $47 on myself. But again, that just shows like how little I valued myself at the time. Unfortunately, this... As I've discovered, I was wrong about the belief about relaxation. It had opened up this willingness to be wrong about anything. So, okay, well, maybe I am worth investing $47. And and actually, I'm going to save probably 450 quid by not drinking any booze in January. So so I decided to invest. And it was the best best decision that I ever made because I'd invested. I made the decision I was going to show up to every live call. I was going to do every journaling exercise. I was going to watch every single video mm. because being the northerner that I am, I wanted to get my money's worth. Yeah. So I then embark on this wonderful experience with the live alcohol experiment. 
And because I'd already stopped drinking, I, I was heading to, like, I had my first alcohol-free Christmas, which was just unbelievable. You know, I learned so much in that time. But I also had the opportunity, um, there was a, an occasion um, with a friend of mine over the Christmas period where uh, I chose to drink on that occasion. And it was and it was mind-blowing because, of course, I had other beliefs about alcohol. I like the taste. I like the way it makes me feel. And this was the first time that I'd ever drank mindfully. Mm. And so what I realized was, oh, it doesn't quite taste the way that I thought it did. Oh, I don't like the feeling of being on a shit merry-go-round that I can't get off. Mm -hmm. So I then went into this alcohol experiment for the month, just really solid, knowing that I didn't want to drink anymore. And I only, it was, I don't know, about two, two weeks into it. And the change in my life had been so vast that I wanted to be able to help other women and particularly other mums. I knew there'd be so many, so many mums just like me, just trying to cope, thinking it's the thing that's helping them. And actually it's the thing that's bloody well undermining them. Yeah. And having gone only a couple of weeks alcohol-free and my anxiety had gone, I felt peace in my life for the first time. I was experiencing joy like that, childlike joy that oh. I thought had long gone. I had mental clarity and I just wanted to be able to bring that to other people and didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just decided that that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to find out a way. And as if by magic later that month, Annie then for the first time opened up her online coaching program with this Naked Mind Institute. And so I signed up for that. All the while, I've got this little voice that's saying, you know, who are you to be doing that? And you've only been alcohol free for a few weeks. Like, who the hell do you think that you, you are applying to be a coach? But there was a voice, like very quiet voice, this stirring in me that just knew, I just knew. And so thankfully I followed that and I went on to train with Annie. And then latterly I trained with Jolene Park as well during that that year in 2020. And And it was just the most wonderful experience, even if I hadn't have launched a coaching business off the back of it to have the the personal growth was fantastic. But of course, what's going on at the same time is all of the hormonal stuff. So uh, the, 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 the consultants at the gynecology clinic were really, really pleased that I wasn't drinking anymore. I was like their model patient, but what was becoming apparent was, and, and this is one of the things I just really want to get across to people. When, when you remove alcohol, when you get it out of the way, you've got half a chance of finding out what your baseline is. And whilst I was still breastfeeding, the through the NHS, the medical route, they were really unwilling to do much with me. So I turned towards the naturopathic route and I um, employed a naturopathic doctor and I was using supplements to try and like, I'd lost my cycle. Like it, so I'd, I'd, um, I'd had an interruption with breastfeeding. My cycle had come back, but then it was very um, sporadic. And so the naturopathic doctor helped me get my cycle back and uh, I was working with her on low energy was one of my big symptoms and, and headaches and so I I did that probably for about about six months and I had some success but it was limited and and I, I remember going to see I have an acupuncturist who's fabulous and I remember going to see her and she really encouraged me to think more about like I know you're young, but this, you know, the perimenopause is the 10 years yeah. before menopause. So exactly. could it be? And, you know, um, 
she she was just a re because she'd been through it herself. She I think she could see some of the the things that were going on, and she said, "Look, you can dabble with hormones, and you can come to me for acupuncture, but it's like um, she likened it to like a dry riverbed that you need to get flowing with pockets of water." And she said, "You know, you you." you know, having a little trickle down there, but what you need is like a vast torrent. And and so if, if you need hormones, then, you know, you can use my Chinese herbs and all of these things, but they're not going to give you, they're not going to replace like for like. So if you're considering hormones then you might want to consider them earlier. Mm-hmm. And so I then really pushed myself down that route. And uh, I, I had to fight for it because of my age, although one of my doctors was very sympathetic and she recognized particularly the risk to bone health as well as heart health yeah. and cognitive yeah, function. Yeah. So she she was really quite supportive. And I remember having this one call with, the, um, it was actually a locum doctor. And I said, look, I'm, I'm not coming off this call until you've prescribed me some hormones because mm-hmm. like, let's say it doesn't work. I can always come off them. But right now, it's my only hope. Yeah. And so that was my intro to getting estrogen and progesterone. But again, it, it's fortunate that I had the support of my acupuncturist because mm. she told me what to ask for. So she was telling me about bioidentical yeah. hormones. So the the locum GP, who sounded like a young, a young man, oh. and um, he was all a bit baffled by the whole subject and didn't really know what to prescribe. So I remember Googling as I'm on, like, he's telling me what he could prescribe. I'm Googling it. And I said, no, 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 that's got a synthetic progesterone in it. I don't want that one. I want the bioidentical. So this, yeah, well and the, the long story short is I've got what I needed. Mm-hmm. And what was really surprising to me was within, literally within a couple of days, I felt so much relief, particularly oh. from I was having symptoms like the headaches were probably one of the worst symptoms, the brain fog, the, you know, yeah. as I did earlier on, like forgetting what you're about to say, mm. um, if, getting hot in the night, all of that business. Yeah. So the estrogen and progesterone, progesterone, like what a wonderful thing that is. When you take yeah. it at the end of the day and it helps you to sleep. Yeah, like it it's, chills you out. Yeah. So yeah, okay. no, I was just going to say just to 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 kind of jump in there and just to reflect that since we are talking about that sort of the hormonal piece, because I don't I don't think I've ever really talked about it on the podcast. And for me, I think I went back to drinking in my early 40s after I'd been sober for a year because mm. that is when the uh, I think the hormonal shifts. I also like you got um offered antidepressants I also went to my male doctor who told me I couldn't have HRT because I wasn't menopausal yet and Mm. then I ended up going to um, a hormone clinic and getting a lot of education such brilliant women's hormone clinic in Brighton online during lockdown Um, and they yeah she got gave me uh, HRT progesterone estrogen and I know that we're going to talk a bit about uh, testosterone as well yes and yeah. there is still so much misinformation about it isn't oh 100 I, um, I met a lady just yeah. last week and her business that that's ever so slightly older than me so um her business partner that she was referring to is 46 mm-hmm. um and th- as I understand it the guidelines are here in the UK that if you're over 45 that you shouldn't have any fight for HRT yeah. you should just be able to get it so this 
lady has been to her GP and, and categorically been told, I will not prescribe you anything yeah. until you've not had a cycle for a year. Oh, that's well, what I got told. I was 48 Yes, just too bloody late. Too late. And one of the things that um, I learned is that the earlier, like if you want, and I, and I recognize hormone therapy isn't going to be for everybody, mm-hmm. but if you want it, if, if you're planning to have it, the earlier that you take it, the better, because you derive more benefit from it. Yeah. And there's a, a wonderful book by Maisie Hill, Perimenopause Power. And I learned so much from that book. And she explains it beautifully in there, mm-hmm. both, you know, she, 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 she covers all sorts of subjects. It's a really well-rounded book. And she writes beautifully. It's it's funny and relatable. But in terms of like that, you know, as I said, I like to know the how and the why. You'll get that from that book. And 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 it was a real, like it was very validating to read that what I was doing was the right thing against, you know, lots of um, uh, mention of the risks. You know, we, we hear yeah. all about the risks of HRT. Yeah. And, and, and they've been disproven anyway. They exactly. were, it was faulty. I mean, I did, um, well, I found as a coach, so many women coming to me were, I generally deal with the midlife. Um, and I did, I went on to train in it. I went to train with the menopause school, mm-hmm. um, as a menopause doula. And I love, because there's also, I think there's a, almost that psycho spiritual narrative out there as well of like, okay, let's embrace this kind of change, and reimagine the second half of life like I'm doing Sharon Blackie's Haggitude course which is amazing it's a, a personal yeah psycho-spiritual journey but I'm like but give me the fucking hormones as well I'm not gonna because yeah. the science is there the science is there the the personal evidence is there as well and yeah. I get really cross about women struggling and suffering and especially it really impacts again if it's going to impact on your mental health and physical health mm. it's going to be a sober risk right as well because 100%. we're going to want to self-medicate that that shit away you yeah. know in my experience well it's important and, and the thing that people often don't realize is and it's not just alcohol, but things like caffeine and gluten, like how it can exacerbate your perimenopausal symptoms as well. Yeah. So it, it it's a really it's a really important thing to understand what's going on and the things that were helpful to me, obviously aside from removing alcohol, was educating myself mm-hmm. and tracking my cycles and tracking how I felt. So. Yeah. It's not necessarily relevant the date, but the day in terms of day one, day two, day three, that's really important. And I couldn't figure out any better way of doing it than a bloody spreadsheet. So, you know, imagine <laughs> imagine how interesting that is, filling that in you on really a daily like, basis. You really like the science and the structure, don't oh, you really? <laughs> <laughs> but what was fascinating was once I'd mapped out my cycles mm-hmm. and every single symptom that I was having, you could see these these two peaks in the month. So I wasn't going mad. Like what I was experiencing was very real. Yeah. And it allowed me to have conversations like with, with my husband, you know, like I'm not, I'm not just losing my shit all the time because I'm a bad person. Like there's something going on for me. Yeah. And and then but, you can plan, right? You can plan around yeah. it. It gives you power yes. to go, well, actually I'm going to work with my cycle, not against my cycle. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. But you think about it, you know, you've, you've worked or I'm assuming people work. I mean, not everybody works, but you you get to this point of your life 
where you've been working or volunteering or childrearing, whatever you're doing, and you've accumulated experience and wisdom and you really start to, like I've got to know myself really well in the last few years, particularly since removing alcohol. But to then not feel like yourself on a daily basis and not be able to function, not be able to perform at a meeting or like the, the whole, like forgetting what you're saying. I mean, it like that, that has really undermined my confidence yeah. at times. So I don't want anybody a bit like, I don't want anybody to suffer unnecessarily with alcohol. I don't want anybody to suffer unnecessarily without the therapy, the hormone therapy that they need, yeah. should they be open and willing to, to take it because it can really transform how you feel in a very, very short space of time. This journey, like your your levels are going to change, but you can tweak it, right? So, you know, you might go from one size patch to a bigger patch, or you might take, you know, more gel or, but, you know, knowing, like tracking your symptoms and knowing how you feel, being able to tune into your body to understand how you're responding to this kind of treatment, as well as other things, as you say, to be able to, you know, whether it's to do with supplements or whether it's to do with meditation or other somatic practice, knowing how you feel like you, you, that that is so vastly helpful because then you can adjust. And again, this is why, um, you know, I, I just know when you remove alcohol, you've got a much better chance of tuning into what's going on. For you. It's like you said, you, you've got half chance at knowing what your baseline is and actually being able to read the intel externally exactly. and internally. Exactly. We can't yeah. hear anything when we're masking it all with alcohol. Mm. Um, mm. And so I let's just talk about worry about you know the elevated breast cancer with HRT and stuff and and this you know we know that that this has been discounted but maybe we should unpick that for people a little bit that that are listening in you know so what kind of what do you know about about that study do you you know in in your experience what's that all about well again I, I would point anybody to Maisie Hill's book because she explains it beautifully in there very succinctly and beautifully very easy to understand um but my my loose understanding of it of it is that it, it was just entirely a flawed study, and um, the uh, they they had to as I believe they had to stop it partway through, um, and what what was being shown, uh, like I, I think wasn't it post menopausal women that were taking really hormone late. therapy late 60s yes. they started them late 60s and they didn't do any control studies of any other lifestyle so smoking drinking it was done on I think of quite an unhealthy section of the population from what mm. I can remember I'd have to double check but it was it was so flawed that even they it got leaked to the press mm. and they had a big thing where they they said, look, if you the, the experts were saying, if you leak, if you leak this misinformation, this is going to devastate a lot of well, a lot of women are not going to get the help they need. And the press, mm. the press did it anyway. And it did. It mm. caused a massive shitstorm. Mm. And and actually, they've proved that transdermal estrogen, which was the that was the worry was the estrogen link yes. that transdermally there is no elevated risk of breast cancer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
And it's also what I didn't realize is that it isn't just about symptoms. It's not just about like, well, let's just, well, it'll be worth the payoff if I have a hot flush to put myself at risk. It's like, it's not about that. It's we're living longer. And if you have, we, we become hypoestrogenized, like we might be have lower, you know, too low insulin and need insulin, you know, to inject insulin. So Mm. with that, and I think you mentioned before bone health. So some of the biggest killers of women being dementia, cardiovascular disease, and osteoporosis, it's proven that HRT um, is really important in risk prevention for some of the biggest killers of women. So there's a hell of a lot of misinformation. So Maisie Hill's book, you said is good. I would sign people to... um, you know, the menopause school, they've, it, it's brilliant. Their courses mm-hmm. are really, really cheap. It's all read, uh, run by a doctor. So mm-hmm. it's all, it's completely medically sound. Um, I'm not, yeah, I'm wondering what else is, you know, you mentioned the kind of holistic mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. that you do. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's, I think that's going to be very personal. Like I kind of found my own, followed my own trail of breadcrumbs and, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with a wonderful acupuncturist and who's yeah. very, who's local to me, but just to, just to start, like, uh, keep banging on about Maisie's book, but just as a start to get you thinking about what you want to find out more about Louise Newson, um, her, she, she has, um, a, a clinic and also the, uh, I think it's called balance. There's an app called balance has a plethora of information about all of these subjects. And, uh, Davina McCall did her documentary or there's two parts to that now and and she was very clear about you know that I think I'm sure she said in that that she was talking about this flawed study and she was talking about the you know what are the the risk markers for mm. breast cancer and the two biggest are alcohol and yeah. obesity yeah it's nothing nothing to do with HRT yeah um so the, the, there's so much information, but finding it's to me, it's reminiscent of when I was pregnant with my first child and, you know, you, um, uh, I employed a lot of, uh, like I went through the, you remember the old called NCT classes, yeah. those classes that you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and thank God I, I signed up for those because yeah. again, like I Such had no idea. Support. Yeah. I had no idea what I was headed towards. And that really took me down this road of like informed choice. So mm. like it, it just, just be informed. Yeah. And, and I'd say the same about alcohol, actually, you know, it's, it's not about whether you drink or not. Mm. It's about how you feel and um, your intention and you can't, you can't be clear without the information. So, no. and, and one of the things that came up on the, the part two of Davina's documentary, and again, Maisie Hill addresses it in her book is that we lose three hormones um, as we traverse um, perimenopause and then we become postmenopausal. So we lose estrogen, we lose progesterone, but we also lose testosterone. And this is why we were laughing after we recorded our podcast, because yeah. one of the one of the things that has been really important for me is to to get testosterone hormone therapy because I was suffering really badly with not just with focus and um and drive motivation but like really really low energy and you know I've got young kids and all of that but it was still like something wasn't right and I had to again battle for this particularly through the NHS route I first of all went privately to get it to prove my case 
and had my hormone levels checked, went on to testosterone. That takes a little longer to, to work, but within about a month, I knew that it was, it was working for me yeah. because of my age and going through the men, um, going through the menopause clinic here in Cambridge. And uh, my consultant there wanted to satisfy himself. So bloods again, and then he would prescribe testosterone. And again, the, the bloods proved that I needed it and we don't need the same as men, but we do need some. And so he prescribed me testosterone. So I'm a bit of a unique person because I've managed to get it on the NHS. And again, so many of my friends, private. they need yeah. it. Yeah. But they just yeah. can't get hold of it. The, but the unfortunate thing, and the reason why we were laughing about this is that the preparation that I have, it's not, it's not preparation that's designed for women. It's designed for men. And so, and I'll tell the story because it's funny. Years and years ago, uh, when I was in my twenties, I had laser hair removal on my legs, so I took all of the hair off my legs, so I didn't have to shave on the regular or wax or whatever. And since I've been applying test because you apply this testosterone gel to your legs, and so it's a small amount of gel and put it on my thighs, and guess what? I've had I've had this sprouting of hair on my bloody legs, and and so it just you know all the joys. Christ's sake, you know, but the, and yeah. the the reality is like what I would love to see is more investment and care and attention put behind what women really need so that we can have because yeah. like this testosterone, I'm thankful to have it, but it's it it's prepared for men. So the way that I'm taking it, I'm like taking it every other day. And and I look, I didn't have this hair growth with the other testosterone that I was taking privately, but you know. It, it yeah. just, it needs to get so much better for us. But it in does. the meantime, I don't want anybody, anybody listening to this, I don't want you suffering unnecessarily because there's so much available yeah. to us, but we just have to be able to know what it is and be able to, you know, have the confidence to ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the big takeaways are so, so 100% concur is that we can be going through this younger than we think. Mm that we can take HRT if we're perimenopausal. You don't have to wait till you're, you know, post 50 and you've got the sweats. It looks like all manner of things, mm. you know. For me, it showed up with, yeah, mood swings. Um, you know, that the real sort of, even though I was doing, it was like, how much yoga can I bloody do? And yeah. I was sober and I know and I'm journaling and I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm listening to Sarah Brack and doing all the self-compassion. Mm. Like, Give me a freaking break. Oh, it's the it's a hormone piece. And I still went to my GP and they prescribed antidepressants. And it did help, but it wasn't, I don't think it was the right, it wasn't what I needed. So yeah, that that kind of you can be younger, you don't have to wait till you're post when people when the doctor says to you you're not menopausal that means that you've stopped your periods for a year mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's not even correct it's like that's not correct when you should be taking hrt no no well, particularly if you think about it, you lose 20 percent of your bone density in those years leading up to menopause mm -hmm. so if you wait up until the point that you've hit menopause mm -hmm. then the damage to your the bones is already itself. done yeah. and as you pointed out earlier we're living longer you know we we weren't meant to live to the kind of ages that we are so my my view of this is i'm going to be taking these hormones for life because yeah. i'm i'm going to need them to be able to live a full yeah. um you know have a healthy um as healthy as i can lifespan um through these these years where naturally i'm not I'm, i haven't got the natural hormones so i'm going to need to replace them with 
um, you know, with, yeah. with the medical variety so that I protect my bones, I protect mm. my heart health, exactly. I protect my cognitive function. And yeah. again, in, in her book, Maisie um, talks about the, the importance of, from a, uh, a cognitive perspective, again, if you're considering taking HRT, and estrogen, the earlier, the better, because once there are brain cells that once they're starved of estrogen, they don't regenerate, they don't come back. But if we can replace the estrogen earlier, then this, this is why it's then protected Protects against the loss. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so much, you know, there's the key threads. There's a couple of key threads through our chat today, I think. And one is obviously, you know, the alcohol free, um, and, and the menopause, perimenopause into menopause. But the thing that really underlines it for me is this kind of need for information and how much misinformation there is about alcohol and women's health and alcohol yeah. anyway and mental health. Alcohol disrupts and your endocrine system and will send your hormones even more loopy. And the other thing is the misinformation and the information that's needed around the perimenopause and the menopause and HRT. So you know it's so important isn't it like you said you know the biggest takeaway for me from talking to you apart from just your amazing fabulous story and how articulate and generous you are is is that get informed you know make informed decisions the science is there and get then advocate for your needs and get the help you know um mm. so so important and so I Thank you so much. I mean, I, I really want to dive now into like, and now I want to talk all about my, my experience of going into the menopause, but that is for, that is for another, uh, you know, it will be for another episode. <laughs> Sorry, I've hogged but, it with the Perry side of things. No, but it's your, you're the guest. I shouldn't be. I should just be asking questions. I've, I've actually chipped in more than I usually do. But um, yeah, um, just to know that, if you are in that period, if you're going through that sort of, you know, were you like from late 30s into 40s, you know, mm. even into your 50s, it's like, yeah, do reach out and get informed, get help, read some of the books, you know, that Ellie was talking about, check out uh, some of the courses. And I really believe just to touch, touch briefly on the menopause, though, is that, like I said, I'm, I'm doing, I interviewed last year, um, Alexandra Pope and Zjani from the uh from the red school and oh, okay. again it's that that sort of psycho spiritual like they have, uh, have approached it from like okay let's call bullshit and honor the female journey and mm. carve this out as a proper rite of passage however i almost feel like there's a little bit of a kind of a divergence it's like you've got to be one camp or the other so it's like if you're going to go all woman cave and psycho spiritual about it we're, we're going all natural and we're you know sewing our hair shirts I don't know why I said that that's my, <laughs> that's my um I'm really sorry if anyone's listening and I've just completely completely sort of like insulted you know your approach but that's how I that's how it feels to me and also I'm doing Sharon Blackie's uh Haggitude, which is an amazing thing about reimagining and building out positive myths for aging for women and that is another like social history being created as we claim the narrative and work with what we need mm. um, but what I'm quite passionate about is actually bringing that together so it's like look we can if we get what we need if we advocate for our needs 
we can actually celebrate this and live wisely and healthily with it you know absolutely the time it's not the time to be listening to just other people say well if you're going to be like this you've got to do this it's like surely with sobriety and entering and being mums and being grown-ups and going through this period it's like this is the time to advocate for our needs right 100 mm. percent cool mm. bullshit absolutely you know, I a bit when you said at the beginning, it, it made me laugh because like I talk to everybody about this now. It's like <laughs> because it just might sow that seed with somebody yeah. to think, oh, hang on. You know, stood in the school playground at pickup time and somebody's mentioning about their headaches or whatever. Mm. And I just where, where it's appropriate, I just gently offer my experience, not not to um try and persuade anybody to do anything necessarily, but just to give them that. Um, that seed and then they it's up to them what they do with it but yeah. I know how valuable it was for me for you know to have the little nudge yeah. here and there yeah. and then to be able to go and find the resources and to inform myself so yeah, yeah don't don't be alone in any of this and certainly it's in information a lot of these, and choice isn't it is what you're yeah. saying yeah and th- these communities particularly the kind of sober communities that we spend our time in that there's some wonderful conversations happening you know women that are well, and men as well but particularly in this space women being very supportive and helpful of one another so you know don't suffer through any of this on your own because you don't need to mm, yeah 100% and it is that like you said there's it's almost like those taboos like you know alcohol was a taboo that we couldn't talk about perimenopause menopause oh we mustn't talk about that and thank goodness it is you know and thank mm. you for sharing your story mm. um so just before we go um what's your top your tip of the day and your reason to love sober today oh my tip of the day it has to be going back to what I said earlier on about that belief that I had about alcohol relaxes me and how dumbfounded I was when I discovered that it was wrong like be willing to be wrong be willing to be wrong about everything that you know that curiosity that curious mind it'll take you very fast so that'd be my tip of the day is to have that beginner's mind um and what was the other question? Just remind <laughs> my reason what? to love sober. Yeah, your reason to love sober. Well, oh man, oh God, there's so many. But just, oh, just to be present to your life. Just to be present to your life. I spent so long living in anxiety, worrying about the future, and we can spend just as much time ruminating over the past. The, the, the only place we are right is where you know we, we physically are right in the second. So uh being removing alcohol that really allowed me to be come fully present to my life and I'm so thankful for it oh I love that yeah that's made me feel so nice and sort of serene thank you Ellie you're very welcome thank you for having me so so lovely to speak to you so if you are you know if you're concerned about your alcohol um consumption and your relationship with alcohol do reach out get in touch so baristas you know still has that ask the anonymous ask the doctor service which is a great resource for people just you know check out ellie ellie's um community what's that again so the, the podcast is the present and sober podcast so we're on all the main platforms and if people are on Facebook and want to join the community, we have a free Facebook community. It's called the Present and Sober Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little group there that you're very, very welcome to come and join us. Mm-hmm.